This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I'm reading from my collection of short stories, There Is a Season. This story is called Adjusting Her Ideas. What say you, Mary? For you are a young lady of deep reflection, I know, and read great books and make extracts. Mary wished to say something very sensible, but knew not how. While Mary is adjusting her ideas, Mr. Bennet continued, Pride and Prejudice, Chapter 2. She overheard the children's words. It might be said that they darted through her with the speed of an arrow, but as neither weapons of war nor the capricious stings of Cupid were part of her consciousness, she experienced only a sudden ache, a raw emptiness beneath the ribs where she knew her heart to be located, an overwhelming faintness perhaps, because she realised, grasping the back of the chair and turning to the window, She loved them. The two children played, meanwhile, underneath their father's desk in the library and made a rampart of their books from the schoolroom. They were still oblivious of her presence. Oh, not her choice, continued the boy, with all the scorn of nine years' experience of the world. Always such dull books, improving our minds all the time. Give me some adventures, pirates and highwaymen, or... Make us laugh. I don't care which, but not those tedious old things. Like her, dull old maid. His sister, less cruel but honest, added, I know, but she does her best. She just doesn't remember what it was like to be a child. You must be kind to her. Mamma said so. Aunt Mary stood very still, gathering fortitude to her and struggling to understand both the pain of her feelings and the words of her niece and nephew. Strictly truthful as she was, by upbringing and by moral choice, she recognised the validity of their words. She had no comprehension of their world, of their tastes and feelings, and until today she had not realised that all her efforts to please them were in vain. They had no awareness of her struggles to understand and comfort them when they were tiny children, or the sleepless nights spent in their nursery when they were very young and their younger sister had been born, almost at the cost of their mother's life. Until this moment she had never recognised or admitted to herself how much of her own heart had come alive in the moment when she had first seen them. Twins, placed laughingly on her lap that day in the morning room when she had come to visit. And now the door had sprung open and could never be closed. She knew herself as a creature of emotion whom no rational or moral precepts could ever wholly satisfy again. In the library, the long windows defying taxation drew in the afternoon light and motes of dust were fixed and transfigured in its brightness. The shelves of learning reached to the ceiling. 
their gilded bindings catching odd gleams of sunshine. Every detail seemed fresh to her, as though she had never truly looked at anything before, save to weigh its purpose and usefulness to her. Suddenly, it seemed, but it may have been many minutes later, the children scrambled up, knocking over their castle of books, and seeing her across the library, came to her where she stood near the window. Aunt Mary, the boy said, and to her surprise, he looked at her as he'd always looked, frank and cheerful and essentially kind. Her niece came alongside and took her hand. Will you come with us down to the lake? And will you bring something to read to us? But please, something from the story that father began to read to us, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. She let herself be tugged by the hand, knowing in her mind that they wanted her company so that they could venture further than their usual boundaries, knowing too that the story they requested was unfamiliar to her, as was the book they thrust into her hands, Lyrical Ballads by William Wordsworth and Samuel Taylor Coleridge. She had heard, of course, of Mr. Wordsworth and the new poetry, and surely something she'd heard of Mr. Coleridge was less than suitable. But all the time her heart was preoccupied with its anguished discovery and clambering painfully within the cage of her ribs to reach and understand herself. When had it begun, this assumption of behaviour and character that they called with such truth dull? Had it always been so? She thought of her childhood, coming swiftly after two such pretty and animated little girls, Jane and Elizabeth, and she so plain and solemn. Then she remembered the next two came in quick succession, and they too lively and mischievous. They were, she knew, without ever needing to be told, the apple of their mother's eye. She saw herself running stolidly behind the other four children, earnest and clumsy, and as they grew beyond childhood, her father, she realised, so droll and ironic, hiding in his library from the femininity that consumed his household, was intolerant of her struggles to be both learned and talented. Her mother was mostly indifferent to the plain middle daughter in her consuming matrimonial plans for her other four girls. She recognised with pain that she had never been the most accomplished girl in the neighbourhood. And all the time the children were pulling at her hands as they walked down the stone steps and on to the drive and then left her to run along the path ahead to the calm lake that was the glory of the southern aspect of the house. She watched their energy and heard their laughter as from a place of distant separation. And as swiftly as she could walk, they had thrown themselves down at the edge of the lake and begun to search its brown waters with their hands for the stickleback and newts that lived in its shallows, flicking each other with water and laughing with the pleasure and adventure of the afternoon. Even, she realised, including her with affection and gratitude for her undemanding presence. Later, the boy, Charles, came to sit by her, and on the other side his sister, Jane, and she read to them, finding herself captured by the rhythms and vivid images of the story, 
transfixed as they were by its horror and simplicity, although everything in her mind cried to her that she should restrict their exposure to such images and experiences, she read on. Something in herself touched and quickened even as she read. In the running shuttles of her mind, ceaseless even as she read aloud, she wove the very different thread of her own history between the verses of the sailor's torment and redemption. The last twelve years had been spent dutifully at home after her elder sister's marriages. Kitty, so often away with one or the other sister in those first years, and now herself happily married. She found herself remembering poor Lydia and her sudden death four years ago in a northern regimental town of an illness no one would name. Her death had overcome her mother with excesses of grief, and in its aftermath she had become more nervous, more foolish and unmanageable. She had learned to sit alongside the bedside of irrationality and had watched it dwindle into fear and sickness. Her mother had died within a year of Lydia, and her father, staying now with one or other of his daughters, and most comfortable, she realised, here at Pemberley, where the conversation was witty and informed, she lived here too, the unmarried daughter, haunting the library for copies of safe and familiar volumes of sermons and essays, and the ordered intellects of Pope, Goldsmith, Dr. Johnson. She played the pianoforte, quietly, when she was sure it was not be a nuisance, aware of her sister-in-law's superior talents. Without self-pity, she brought to her mind thoughts, feelings, memories, to a mind that she had trained to eliminate all that she had identified as frivolous. She now began to see this process of true reflection and the identification of feeling as essential. They had reached the end of the story, heads bent together as they shared the last verses. The boy's imagination was captivated by the intensity of images, of death and spectres, voyages in seas of wondrous cold and burning sun. His sister, excited and moved by the pity of it, and touched with the love expressed for man and bird and beast. And she, sadder and wiser perhaps, but enriched with a new self-knowledge, and with a capacity for love that felt as though a seed had awoken in the earth, breaking into leaf and flower within a day. Who knows, she told herself, perhaps I may even discover happiness, love and happiness of which she had never dreamed. Dreams had not been admitted to her old world. As the afternoon wore away and the children became tired and hungry after their game of hide-and-seek, they drew close to her again and took her hands to walk back to the steps. Her own hands felt warm and live, responding so differently from their previous inflexible and dutiful grasp to the touch of the children's fingers. Perhaps they sensed the lightning of her heart. They flashed quick smiles of gratitude, courteous bobs of thank you, Aunt Mary, before they sped back to the house where their father waited to greet them. Mary wandered away from the steps, towards the little plantation where she could sit and allow herself to ponder the events of the day and the cataclysm of feeling that had taken place within her own heart, the admission of pain and love. 
the releasing of old strictures, the recognition of the fragile defences that she had built so carefully against the world so that her plain and ordinary nature might be hidden behind her laboured accomplishments. The clouds turned to rose and amber as the sun moved close to the horizon and she stayed to watch the growth of the level long shadows of the ancient oaks and huge elms that ruled the park. There was a great clarity of light. She gazed on the stillness of the lake, mirroring now the brilliance of the setting sun. Colour deepened. All around her, she became conscious of the song of birds, and over in the wood the deep rasp of crows gathering together. This stillness, this knowing of herself, consumed her for many minutes. They had left the book with her as they ran off, and she turned it in her hands, a thin volume of verse. Its slimness outweighed volumes of its classical predecessors as she began to read it with newly awakened vision. Phrases caught her eye, words that hitherto would have been meaningless self-indulgence, folly. And bring no book, for this one day we'll give to idleness. Idleness? Never, never had she given in to such a word, such an indulgence. Mary smiled. She turned the pages. Lines written in early spring, when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind. She would have dismissed such an illogical thought, but now it awoke in her new feelings, a new knowledge. To her fair works did nature link the human soul that through me ran, and much it grieved my heart to think what man has made of man. She found herself wondering what he had meant, this young man, Mr. Wordsworth. What had he seen in nature and in humankind that she had missed? The sun had almost touched the far line of trees, and she rose hastily, gathering herself to walk as quickly as she could back to the sweep of steps that led to the house. She did not know that her face was flushed with animation, her eyes brightened with the discoveries that were for her as vast and wide as any new world beyond the ocean. When she entered the house, the children came to her immediately, newly confident and affectionate, and brought her into the drawing-room before she had time to remove her bonnet. Papa, they cried, tumbling into his arms, we read the story, Aunt Mary read it to us. You read The Ancient Mariner to them, her father exclaimed. Yes, indeed I did, she responded, and found it full of wonders, as is this whole volume. If I may, I would like to borrow it and understand the writings better. She turned to her sister. Dearest Lizzie, I have had such a very happy time with your children this afternoon. She stopped aware that her spontaneity had surprised them all, especially herself. I must go and dress for dinner, she exclaimed, and fled the room before her sister could rise from her chair to embrace her. You have been listening to Adjusting Her Ideas from the book There is a Season read by the author Janet Killeen 
and produced by Duncan PB. For more stories, please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.